I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the world of tomorrow! Good news, everyone! It's a Futurama fancast! And we are already in our pyjamas. Today's episode is sponsored by Luna Park. The happiest place orbiting Earth. Episode 2! The series has landed! Yes. Uh, The actual title is Episode 2, The Series Has Landed. (laughs) The full title. Yeah, Um, no, I saw it like that in a couple of places. I was like, huh, fair. Um... Uh, it first aired April 4th, 1999. The subtitle was, is In Hypnovision. Uh, the cartoon is Baby Bottleneck featuring Porky Pig from 1946. Uh, it was directed by Peter Avanzino and written by Ken Keller, uh, mm-hmm. Keeler, sorry, who was actually nominated for an Annie that year for Outstanding Individual Achievement for Writing for the episode. This and, episode? Um, for this episode, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, and, um, I don't think it's hard to see why. I think it's a cracking episode. Well, the thing that struck me is that this could work as a pilot as well. Oh, um, yeah. Because, I, I mean, I don't know the story about uh, the pilot, really, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder if this was the natural episode two that was always planned, or if they uh, wanted to introduce the wider cast more. Um, I don't know. Like, I know the first episode is obviously called Space Pilot 3000, but I don't know if it actually was a pilot because a lot of the time I think you get pilots and they mm. arrive and then people see the reaction and then, like, episode, the true episode one comes later. Or whether, like, because you just said it was actually called episode two. So perhaps, like, Space Pilot 3000 was always meant to be that. Yeah, like, it doesn't wasn't... feel like a completely different show, like some. The difference between some pilots and episode twos where everyone looks different and sounds different um mm-hmm. but yeah should we uh actually 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 briefly mm-hmm. uh now that i've said this i maybe should start this at the end but uh last episode i wanted to give a shout out to uh the podcast that i'm at least basing my edit on oh. uh and if people like this they should listen to i listen to um Everything's coming up Simpsons. It used to be called Everything's Coming Up Podcast mm-hmm. um, with Ali Gertz and Julia Prescott. And uh, I think since listening to their Simpsons podcast, I've really, really wanted to do something similar. And the fact that we suddenly came across the idea to do a future other podcast, um, I can't believe that didn't occur to us sooner. But um, mm-hmm. if you do like us, what I'm kind of modelling the the format on, I suppose, is them. So you should check them out. Um, that's just what I wanted to say. But what I also noticed about last episode is that we didn't give a episode synopsis until <laughs> like halfway through. So do we want to start with that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've got one nearby if you would like me to read that. Um, or I could try to do it off the top of my head. But we sort of good. did last time. Um, okay. Well, I mean, it, it. Well, yes, you go first. Okay, sure. Um, episode starts off with uh, Fry, Leela, and Bender meeting the rest of the employees at Planet Express. We meet Hermes, who's basically the business manager. We meet Zoidberg, who is the doctor. <coughs> Excuse me. And we meet Amy, um, who is technically kind of an intern we later find out she's actually one of professor farnsworth's students from mars university but in that moment we we hear that she's there as an intern and they're sort of getting ready to go for their first uh delivery mission and it's to luna park which is the crappy theme park on the moon as the uh, the name might suggest um We'll get into the more sort of fun details as we go on, but they they head up to the park. Everyone's like, we want to go to the amusement park. And Ula's just like, no, we've got a job to do. So they deliver the package and then they go out and do the park. And um, 
Leela and Fry. Fry gets sort of very dissatisfied with it because this isn't what the moon he wanted to see. So he and Leela go on the educational lunar override and uh, sort of Fry busts them off the tracks and they end up going out onto the actual surface of the moon itself. They run into a hydroponics farmer <laughs> after crashing their buggy um, and have to run away from him after Bender sleeps with his robot daughters <laughs> and um, they they find the original lunar lander and just as uh, they sort of they see the earth rise and it's very cool Bender shows up again because he had to go back to try sleep with the third robot daughter and um, Amy arrives with the planet express ship because uh, she, she went with them on this mission which I kind of missed to say uh, having lost the keys into the box that they delivered and been trying to get them out of a claw machine for most of the episode she's able to use her newfound skills to sort of hook Bender and then hook the lunar lander and get everybody home well done that was amazing <laughs> thank you apparently being on cold and flu medication is excellent for my powers of recall yes you you are a little worse for wear today you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> excellent um yeah it's it like the first one it's just really solid and tight like um and I dense get... with content like there's so much going on in it it's great yeah, like the the three leads and especially Fry, there's just so much character work being put into them. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it feels like these two episodes. I'm sure we'll think the same about a few more upcoming episodes. Just so much work's gone into them. Mm-hmm. Um, I never feel often when you start a new show, you kind of have questions or you have like there's things you're not quite sure about. But both these episodes have just done a really good job of explaining without having just chunks of exposition in the world. Yeah, no, it all feels very organic, the way things are being introduced and people are introduced. It doesn't feel... It feels like very sort of, oh, okay, cool. And um, the advantage, I think, of the format of them being new at this lends itself to this kind of um, expanding the world gradually and gradually and gradually. And it it's cool, like, the first time they go into space, it's to the moon. It's, like, so mm. very close. But obviously that's the whole crux of the episode is for Fry, because obviously he's from the 90s, he's from our time. Like people from now, the moon was this sort of amazing thing. It was the nearest goal, is that's what space travel was about. And for while everyone else, it's about the crappy theme park. For Fry, it's about achieving a childhood dream. And we get into that later in the episode, and it's it's just really nice, yo. Yeah, there's a later episode, and I can't remember which one or why, mm. but I do remember Fry talking about the moon again in a later episode, and mm. kind of repeating some of this wonder, and Leela saying, um, "You went there this morning for donuts." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like, yeah, I remember. Um, and I, I just think that's a recurring theme of Futurama is no matter how wondrous, uh, no matter how bigger the universe gets, it still remains small and kind of humdrum. Mm. Um, and it's nice watching Fry transition into that. Because mm. um, I think at some stage he starts becoming more wistful and nostal- nostalgic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just a, 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 another solid episode. Um, it's it's what well, I found when I was making notes about the episode. So many things get introduced in this that are great. It's mm. like that that we revisit later. Obviously, we meet the rest of the Planet Express uh, employees. Um, um, given what we were saying actually in our last episode about uh, Leela's supervisor, uh, the cryogenics, the fact that. Um, Hermes Conrad is voiced by a black actor and that Amy Wong is voiced by um, a Chinese American actress Mm. is like good work everybody this is good yeah I mean Hermes is um, he's not my favourite of the gang no I mean he is like he is a bureaucrat I don't think he's necessarily meant to be especially likeable in the way that middle managers aren't likable people i definitely think like hermes goes through a lot of character development and becomes funnier for sure 
I, yeah, I, I mean, there's actually a few uh, Hermes episodes that are among my favourites, but mm. um, what I'm what I was gonna say is that I think in in all of three of their introduction scenes, these three characters, they are quite two dimensional because that's mm. kind of how you introduce a character. And sure. Hermes could have so easily been the joke is his accent, yeah, or the very fact he's a bureaucrat is mm. the joke. And I think maybe that's what they thought at one stage, but I do think they all, uh, I mean, it doesn't really do much in this episode, but they all eventually become so fully rounded and multifaceted. Mm. I am. Um, I, I, li- I forgot just how much I like Amy from the jump. Like, mm. As a character, she's really fun, and um, she's uh, introduced to the others. And I love that Alila's immediately like, "Hey, did you see Wong?" As in the Mars Wongs, and she's just like, "We're not as rich as everybody says." Like, what sorority are you in? Kappa Kappa Wong. And <laughs> yeah, like the the first hint we get of just how rich uh, Amy's parents are. Like, we eventually find out like the Wongs own half of Mars. Mm. <laughs> so. Um, which actually a fun detail that I noticed later in the episode when Fry and Leela wind up on the hydroponics farm is they're milking the like the cattle beetles. Yeah. Which is what the Wongs have. Yeah. And I, I mean, thought that was a really I didn't realise they got introduced in that episode at all. Like Yeah, I mean the the there's obvious character firsts with Zoyberg and Hermes and Amy. Um, there's also minor ones like the horrible. Col- I was going to say the horrible gelatinous blob. Yeah, he's a recurring character, and yeah, there's a really good episode later on about him, and they they sort of show him as a dad and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's the guy who works in the. He's, he sort of the- feels like this season's version, this uh, series is Gil. Yeah, um, he's he's the greasy trucker guy. Like yeah, we we meet him working at the park. He's just like. I'd punch you if I wasn't so lazy. It's like, but you are lazy, right? Oh, yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, relatable. Yeah. Like, but he's uh, super sleazy. And every time we meet him later, he's also super sleazy. It's just the same thing that's so good about The Simpsons in that they they make every time a person talks a character. Yeah, um, for like sure. Even, even though I don't think he ever comes back, even... The guy in the queue. Yeah. Fry's like, oh, can I buy it? And it's like, um, hmm, hmm, nah. It's like so yeah. characterful. And it's he's the he's the one that says to Fry and Fry that says, this is one small step from mention, like one giant, li-, and then just like, and one giant line for admission. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just really, yeah, no, you're right. It's like these wonderful, everyone feels like a person. Mm. But if anyone with a line of dialogue feels like people, and that's, I feel that's a real art form doing that kind of thing. Like we, we might only meet somebody once, but they feel like, oh, we're just seeing a tiny slice of this person. It's sometimes something that's quite hard to do in sci-fi because you just think, what do these characters do when the camera's not rolling? Like, Ex- right. In Star Wars, what, what would they do if they beat the Empire? Mm-hmm. What, would they just drink blue milk and walk <laughs> around the place? Like... <laughs> Whereas in Futurama, I know exactly what they're up to. And um, I know that's a bit of a loose comparison because there's lots no, of sci-fi which works better. But um, anyway, do you want to go... I, I want to go back to the start and I want to talk about the cold open. Sure. Um, there's a really good Super Bowl joke. <laughs> yeah. Like, right off the bat, like, I don't know, just every sentence is so good in these episodes. And... Um, where he says, like, oh, I got our advert to play during the Super Bowl. Wow, really? Not on the same channel, of course. <laughs> yeah. Another little really nice... And this is one of the things that I enjoy about the way Futurama dated, but also hasn't dated. It's like the tiny little video cassette, and it's a VCR++ <laughs> that, he, yeah. that the professor plays it on. And it's just like... Seeing that evolution of technology is really fun and it just makes me think about how sort of retro futuristic a lot of Futurama looks mm. like it's sort of like a lot of the shapes and I think the colour schemes feel very inspired by sort of the 60s view of the future and it really works it never I I like the ugh, I'm talking in a circle right now but the way that because it's kind of got that retro feel 
it doesn't feel dated because it's purposely retro if that if that follows like i um, like the yeah. notion that tiny videotapes might come back i know exactly what you're meaning because they would have when they designed the videotape you know mm. i know it was the late 90s but i feel like they knew that in a thousand years they wouldn't be still using this mm. um and i think that yeah i do think it adds makes it timeless because i think and also i did mention in the first episode that because we've seen humanity has fallen down and grown up a you know yeah rebuilt itself they have a sort of um way of excusing that and hand waving things not being as futuristic as you might think they would be yeah no it's um, a good it's a good little caveat kind of way to go well actually if you recall <laughs> in our pilot we did quite clearly show yeah about 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 it and also it's just not distracting i think no it just it makes me smile it doesn't make me go mm. ugh, god that's so dated it just makes me grin mm. um and then we get a planet express uh trade uh, advert commercial yeah which is um, where we see the horrible gelatinous blob i like the notion that he's like this actor it's uh <laughs> it's just it's really fun to me um and of course the line uh, our crew is replaceable your package is not it's just um, very good there's so many gags about the disposability of planet express crews in this first episode mm. like um hermes getting leela to sign all the release forms like oh was it a the last one is death by sonic diary and he's just like oh yeah you know you don't want that one and it's just like <laughs> but like it it's important in a way because leela in this episode is being a big you know stickler for doing things right and she doesn't want to mess up mm. um she wants to prove herself as captain, and they do almost die. <laughs> of course. Um, i, I got to say one little thing, and I can only imagine that Hermes was the one that got the sign. When he fl- when he arrives at the Planet Express office and he flips the sign from, sorry, we're closed, the other side says, sorry, we're open. And I just <laughs> like, that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually watched this episode with Justin, mm. my husband, who hasn't... Um, he said he'd watched a bit of it, but he's not actually watched much Futurama, and he was chuckling all the time, and I think he's mm. going to watch a lot of them with me now. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so then we get on to the three sort of introductions of the characters. Mm-hmm. So we meet Hermes, as we said. Um, what I, Is there anything else you want to say about Hermes? Um, I don't know. I just like... I love the notion of somebody that relishes in the fact that they're a bureaucrat. Mm. I think that's part of what's fun about Hermes. And as we spend more time with the character later, like one of my favourite musical numbers from Futurama is Boy Was Meant to Be a Bureaucrat. I love that number so very much. But like, like you said, I think Hermes is a character that really sort of, as you're saying, everyone's sort of intros are very sort of, two-dimensional lot but there's also the seeds of stuff that's going to come later and Hermes getting to be effectively the quote straight man to Professor Farnsworth's sort of eccentric genius like when the professor's describing him which is like oh yeah well he manages the office and he does this and he does this and he does this and he does this and he notifies the next of kin (laughs) yeah again back to that whole how many crews have died working here hmm um, yeah, I mean, I say that he's introduced kind of two-dimensional, but his two-dimensional character is in many ways a a contradiction in a way. Yeah. Um, but I think that maybe we'll talk more about that when he has more than a scene to prove sure. himself. The next character, of course, is Dr. Zoidberg. Dr. John A. Zoidberg, who I don't know if he ever gets introduced as John A., but that's what he is on all the wikis. But... Um, mm. Yeah, just the notion of... The, I love that the press says he's a bit weird. And then he leans and goes, he wears sandals. <laughs> and then obviously we go into the room and he's like a lobster slash claw alien with like a little tentacly frill kind of thing on the front. Mm. And um, who knows nothing about human anatomy. And I'd forgotten how bad he was at that just from the start. It's funny, Zoidberg's one of those characters where... In this scene, he's not funny in the way that Zoeberg's usually funny. Yeah. Like, 
they decided his character trait was not knowing anything about human anatomy and it he does have that throughout but i just feel like later on they know his voice better and the kind of things he'd say Mm. amusingly um, enough shout out billy west is the voice of zoidberg yes I just like god damn you billy west you was also he's also the uh farmer later on in the episode I oh fantastic um he gets around in the future on the he does booth. He, he does indeed but um yeah with zoidberg um a lot some of the mannerisms are there already like the little clicking of the claws um i feel like there's some stuff that's been validly pointed out about Zoidberg as a portrayal of Jewishness that I don't, I'd have to do some more research on before we comment on mm-hmm. about the notion of shellfish and your Jewish stereotypes <laughs> and, and things like that. But uh, it's, it, I mean, mm-hmm. there's episodes where we can talk about that more, but sure, um, sure, sure. I think, I think what I do find interesting is that they don't try in a way they don't try and hide it. And, they really double down on it. And that's mm. why I'm, I'm saying interesting rather than like <laughs> good or bad yet. Yeah. But I think in other sci-fi shows, there's often been comparisons of, oh, this alien race is the, uh, you know. Oh, no, agreed. And that's one of the good things about future as we meet Jewish humans later. This is not instead of. Mm. So, so yeah, no, you're, you're right. It's interesting. Um, For sure. I just think I just, something in the scene made me, it, didn't make me think, hooray, Zoyberg's here. I felt more, he's still cooking. <laughs> yeah, he's yet to come to the boil, maybe. Oh, God. I'm, so- I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. We'll have to cancel the podcast. I made it too bad fun. <laughs> now, Fry, before you go into space, you'll need to see our staff doctor. I should warn you, though, he's a little unusual. He wears sandals. <laughs> Hiya! Dr. Zoidberg, this is Fry, the new delivery boy. He needs a physical. Excellent, excellent. You'll be fine. Now open your mouth and let's have a look at that brain. No, 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 not that mouth. I only have one. Really? Uh, is there a human doctor around? Young lady, I'm an expert on humans. Now pick a mouth, open it, and say... <clears throat> what? My mother was a saint! Then we meet Amy, and we've talked a bit about how she's introduced. Um, I love that we get some of the naivety of Amy from there. Like, we obviously have her being a bit of a klutz, because like, she accidentally smacks Leela in the face when she's... Uh, cleaning uh part of bender because they they take like bender's head off and they're trying to clean out the insides of him as part of his equivalent of a physical and it it makes sense that amy would be helping given that she's like an engineering student hmm. but there's that that great moment um where after they he hears how rich amy is and where his head's on the table and um, but his body is behind them he's like hey look at me i'm dancing and his body pickpockets amy Mm. And like shakes the money from her wallet into his into his body and then puts it back. Okay, show's over. Come to see. Yeah, and oh, later in the oh, I've just later when Fry throws Bender's head to Bender's body and mm. he misses, and it's just like I like that again. It's one of these things we established early about Bender's anatomy as well. It's such, it's almost Inspector Gadgety like. They keep coming up with really fun ways to utilise the fact that one of their characters is a robot. Yes, and there's no real sense to what's inside his um, little cabinet Yeah, <laughs> that he's like, got in his chest. It's a real sort of like uh, Swiss army knife. Kind of, it, it's it's totally like Chekhov's chest cabinet. Chest cabinet. Mm. It is whatever they... Like when in an episode late where he adopts all those orphans, like he keeps... A, he's got a kid in there at one point and it's just like... I wonder if they put, decided to put that in because they knew that would be good for comedy or if they're just really glad that they did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also wrote down a line that the professor says when he's watched this, uh, trip, you know, Bender with being headless and everything go on, and he says, "Ah, to be young again, and also, and also a robot." A robot. <laughs> it's 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 good. It's, it's good. Um, so that's when 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 the story kicks into gear and they start talking about. Uh, they mention the moon, and Fry says the the moon, moon, the moon, moon, the moon, moon. He's so excited to go. It's yeah. 
it's we talked in the last episode about like Fry's innate enthusiasm and how that makes him so very relatable. And it's great. Like they get into the ship and he just like wheels over to his like, Can I do the countdown? And she's like, Yeah, okay, sure. And he starts doing <laughs> the, the countdown. It's just like he gets to, to nine and they're there at the moon. And he's just like, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, blast off. And he's like just... I know that's a joke, but it's it's really magical as well. He is so captivated. Yeah, and I think just we're that... with him in that moment. Yeah. I you know, it's just, it, it the show has such a warm, uh authentic it just doesn't feel cynical in a weird way. It, it really does it, it's with Fry in all those moments. Mm. It is, you know, it, sharing it, his wonder. Yeah, it's it's also fun to say it's not cynical and yet they, yet they then proceed to do a beautiful pastiche of Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. Like I've I've been to Euro Disney and I went there um, longer ago than I care to admit because it reveals how old I am. I've never been to like Disney World, but even no, I, I've like got... through cultural osmosis, know what I'm looking at. I've got friends who literally go every year. Yeah, and uh, some people really love it, and I I'm very curious to go. Mm. Um. But something tells me I don't know if it'd completely work on me. <laughs> uh, but weirdly, it remind it does remind me of Disneyland, and that's obviously what it's meant to be. But mm. the thing it reminds me of most from a UK perspective is Land's End, which is the tippity tippity tip tip of Cornwall, and the I I guess the is it the lowest point or the furthest point or whatever? I think it's like the furthest west and also the southernmost tip of the UK, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I went there with my family and the thing you're you're expecting and the thing that it's famous for is that right on the edge of the cliff, there's a sign and it just says like New York that way hmm. with the amount of miles. And then, you know, that's what you go to get a photo of. But for some bizarre reason, when we went, there's this like theme park. Oh, really? Like, is so tacky hmm. and so weird and pointless. And it, it reminds me of the, the moon because Disney World and Disneyland aren't based on a location. And the moon is, like Land's End, is, is like, <laughs> not to compare them. <laughs> but it's trying to, it has like a veil of like educationalness. Mm-hmm. And like, this is a historical, a significant place now buy our merchandise and <laughs> watch our little gopher show sure um and i really like that like detail of it mm-hmm. um something i watched recently that i was thought of again while watching the episode uh lindsay ellis who uh yeah, lindsay ellis who is a um she does a lot of video essays on youtube um in october of last year she did an episode about the revision uh the revisionist world of disney mary poppins walt disney and saving mr banks but in in that ep- in that video essay she also talks a lot about this episode of futurama mm, and um yes. it's present it's presentation of history and how sort of it can be codified and commodified um, for an audience. And that's such a, a, a big part of why Fry gets so frustrated because he's like, no, this isn't how it happened. This isn't the moon. This isn't why I wanted to come here. Yeah. And it, it again, that if there's a, the episode one destruction build, rebuild thing, you can believe that history has been messed up a bit. Mm. Um, Though, and um, yeah. I was just going to say, a really fun counterpoint to the fact that they have this really shitty Lunar Rover ride with, we don't know what the first astronauts are like. I was like, I do. Just like, but we think it went something like this. And it's like, uh, from the honeymooners, I think. It's like, uh, about going to the moon. He wasn't talking about space travel. He was talking about beating his wife. And (laughs) just (laughs) the the usual sort of good satire we uh, come to expect. Um, Um, Yeah, I mean, the the Ed... Go on. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, the great counterpoint to that, just like, we think it went something like this, and then there's that that great song that I really hope you drop a clip in, because I'm not up for singing it now, but it's it's such a good pastiche of It's a Small World, after all. Um, but It, what... it isn't, it's also completely random. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. Um, 
But what I noticed, and I, I paused the episode so I could write it down, there is all this revisionist history, though we think it went something like this. But in the Lunar Lander, behind Leela's head, there's a little sign that says, Lander returned to this site by the Historical Sticklers Society. <laughs> so somebody yeah. cared about the historical accuracy. And that just really made me smile, that contradiction between, oh, we think it went something like this, and like wailing on the moon with harpoons and more gophers. <laughs> Yeah, because they they don't even because Leela says that the original landing site's been lost for centuries, which makes me think that it's not that it's really truly been lost; it's that people just do not care. Yeah, because Leela and Amy and uh, I guess Bender as well, but everyone that goes to the moon, they they do buy even Leela buys into the lunar park. She's singing along to the songs, and mm-hmm. she thinks that the lunar rover ride is actually. Um, you know, educational and interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just that people really prefer the revision. They, it's mm. more interesting than a very small, you know, yeah, bit of metal in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I do like Fry's reaction to seeing Neil Armstrong's footprint as just to step in it <laughs> without yeah. any question. Yeah. Um. Before I, I wanted to mention going mm-hmm. back to when they first arrive in the park, I really like um, the design and voice and name of Craterface. Yes, <laughs> um, and also Bender sticking his beer in his eye as a homage to uh, the Voyage to the Moon by Georges Méliès. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think is a nice. It's one of those like jokes that are funny whether you get it or not because. Craterface is just such a weird, annoying like, <laughs> being. Excuse um, me, sir. I'm going to have to confiscate your alcohol. It's like braver mascots than you have tried. <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh, it, the fact that like his head was actually squishy enough mm. to put the beer bottle in. Just to, I know, I know. I appreciate it so they could do that great reference um, uh, to the to the silent film um, where the rocket in that looked so much like a bottle shape, but uh, mm. it's just a great moment of physical comedy. Just like this big, <laughs> almost like the head is made of cheese. Yes. I mean, Matt Groening and David X. Cohen who created this, but just like the Simpsons crew, I actually looked up of David X. Cohen, mm. um, saw what else he'd done. And he has written some amazing Simpsons episodes. All right. Um, but something they just do so well is, making references without it feeling exclusive, making Mm -hmm. things funny no matter what, uh, Mm -hmm. and just also pulling references from the oldest and weirdest places. Yeah. Um, I guess there's so many things you could reference with a Moon episode, but they... Sure. They went back to the earliest kind of on-screen tribute to the Moon, which is great it comes back to that whole thing we we're saying about so much of futurama is this love letter to sci-fi mm. but it's just like the simpsons there's so much love for just pop culture and mm. film and tv in general yeah I, one of my favorite favorite visual gags of the episode is when uh leela fry and bender are on the run from the confederate farmer on the moon Hmm. Um, and they jump a gorge and there's alligators in there wearing space helmets now (laughs) not every listener will know uh, I have a certain fondness for crocodilians Um, they are my favourite animal and I love sci-fi and I'm very tempted to make my cover pictures and avatars and everything (laughs) the uh Bubble helmeted alligators. <laughs> it's such a stupid joke. It's such a silly joke, but it's so perfectly executed. Like, you just think, okay, they're jumping a gorge, and then it's just shot from below, and as they're going over, these alligators just snap up, wearing helm- space helmets, and it's just like, that's so ridiculous and perfect. It's just, like, again, that why I think why people love Simpsons and Futurama is just... Mm-hmm. Highbrow and lowbrow jokes mm-hmm. live together with no like judgment put on the other. Like no. a good a, a good lowbrow joke is so hard to write. It's so much mm-hmm. harder than like a witty reference to some t- 
text that only a small smattering of the audience will get. Sure. Like, why is that funny? It's just, it's just, it's it just, just is. Yeah. Uh, just speaking of like arguably lowbrow jokes, and I want, th- I want to say this episode does a really good job of jokes and then repeating the joke, and it's equally funny, if not funnier, the second time because Mm. they've repeated the joke. We have like the Confederate farmer taking his hat off his helmet and jumping (laughs) on it. And later he jump takes off his helmet so he can stamp on his helmet before he can't breathe and has to put it back on. Uh, But we have the first iteration of Bender's joke about uh, forget the X, I'm going to make my own with blackjack and hookers. And that's, and it happens a couple of times in the episode. And I didn't realize that was as early as episode two, but that's definitely a gag that comes up again. Yeah, I mean the forget the blackjack and the hookers. Uh, forget the whole thing. Yeah, um, it, it's it, it, a mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, another great bender detail that's introduced in this episode. Um, one, it's the effect that magnets has on him, um, mm. and it, and we get him singing. And what I find really telling is that uh, he says it fucks with his inhibitions. And that's really interesting. So, oh, so you have this cra- about being a crazy folk singer, and he's, and Bender just looks wistfully away, just like, yeah, I suppose it would be crazy for a robot to want to be a folk singer. And they come back to that a couple yeah. of times, and I love Bender's desire to be a folk singer. I love it it's so like, very much. And the episodes yeah. where they do get to explore it are so good because it it works as a joke. But then why not come back to that? Mm. I just think it's really nice watching this in order and just remembering, like, they come back to that. And just thinking, first time you see this, it works perfectly as its own. Because it doesn't come back at the end. I mean, it comes back at the end of the episode, but it doesn't get resolved in the episode. No. Um, Oh, I love, again, another forward-going detail is um, we have this, obviously, establishment of um, (laughs) Fry's ineptitude, just like, every man for himself. Save me, Leela! Which is just a, a gag that, ne- like, uh, the competency of women compared mm. to, to, to men is always amusing to me. Um, but I love the moment bet- that Fry and Leela have in the Lunar Lander. Um, yeah. It's very telling when we know what where Fry and Leela's relationship does end up. But that quiet moment of intimacy between them in the Lunar Lander where Fry is like has this little impassioned little thing about why the moon means so much to him and how we wanted to be an astronaut and he just ducks his head and Leela sees the reflection of the earth rise in his helmet and she gets to share in that moment with him and it's a real touching moment of for Leela as well because so often she comes across as this this hard ass like she can be funny and quirky and all sorts but you see like in the first episode where she's like I get what it is to be alone like mm. she's got such pa- uh, potential for empathy yeah these two don't feel forced together it's not like when <sighs> so so Never give up on someone's storylines are something that's so common and I think now people feel very uncomfortable about. Mm. Um, and it's actually one of the things I'm interested to see how they do it in uh, this show. Yeah. Um, but it, to me, it doesn't feel like they've created these two opposing characters and the jerky dude is constantly trying to force himself on her. Yeah. It feels like both of them do have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. And they share all these lovely moments so early on that yeah. show you that, like, oh, they're like they really do work as friends. You never, you're never thinking like, why are these people together? Mm. Um, which I guess is really hard if you come from The Simpsons when you know why these people are together because they're a family. Yeah. Sure. To come to this, and I don't know. It's just it. It's it's so good. I know I keep comparing it to The Simpsons, but like. Well, I think that's valid. This yeah. is so, uh, so many of the writing staff is the same. Is same. Obviously, it both came from Matt Groening. So. Um, I mean, this has a this has a lot of Simpsonsy qualities. Like, there's a, a lot of good Simpsons episodes involving, um, bad broken down theme park <laughs> robots. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Someone's oh. been sleeping in my bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, the fact that Bender like says, "Oh God, I went to high school with that guy." Regarding <laughs> one of the the robots on the the whalers in the moon ride is just choice. 
Yeah, I mean, I, the the whole robot culture thing is something mm-hmm. they play so fast and loose with, but yeah, works so well. Um, mm. Br- speaking of robots, yes. Um, <laughs> are we going to talk about the three robot daughters now? The three robot daughters. <laughs> yeah. So our confederate, our human. Let's stress this. Um, farmer who um who regards the lunar park as a sinful place except for the tilter well that's okay but the rest of the place is sinful um, he's and also he's like, wearing a yeah you can stay here and work off again your... shirt yeah and it's just like uh, cap cap yeah and uh yeah he introduces us to his three robot daughters two that look like your sort of typical white trash kind of <laughs> stero- <laughs> yeah and then the third daughter the Crushinator, who's like built like a Chevy and like yo ho and it's just like that gag alone is amusing. The fact that they keep coming back to that, like it's revealed like, oh, you slept with my robot daughters and Bender gets chased off and Fry's just like, Ugh, you didn't sleep with the Crushinator, did you? And Bender's just like, Woman like that, you got a romance first and it's just like Robot beauty standards are very different. Yeah. And I really like it. And we get references to this a lot, but Bender's attracted to a lot of different things. Yes. Yes, he is. Um, but I also the the Crushnader has such a beautiful ew, ew, voice. The fact that she has the same pigtails, though, as one of her <laughs> sisters is just great. And when they're chasing, like she like drills through like an overhang and her little her little pigtails are like bouncing. And then they get to a gorge and the dad just, the farmer dad's just like, God darn it, Crushinator. Why, why wouldn't you drop it? It's like, but pa, I love him. <laughs> it's so good. It's one of the... I, going into this episode, I was like, ugh, I remember the robot daughters vaguely. I hope that's not something I feel uncomfortable about. I was really expecting to find them uncomfortable, but I just... There's something so appealing about the design and the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, Fry can't imagine finding that attractive, but the everyone else in the story is perfectly fine with mm. the Crushinator. Which I think speaks to Fry being new there, because as things go on, I think he gets to understand things better. Mm. And, and it's just that great arc of, of Fry. There's a... Speaking of... Um, well, I don't know why I'm trying to segue this in, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I noticed some background uh, jokes. Oh, yeah. And one of them is one of those weird jokes where I'm like, I think that's meant... To- I think that would annoy me, but I actually kind of like it in some way. Yeah. When Amy's in the arcade, one of the arcade, well, one of the one of them is mm. called Mortal Cooperation, which I thought was funny. <laughs> but one of them is called Gender Neutral Pack Person. Yeah. How do we feel like that? Um, because it happened. This episode was written before a lot of the discourse about like that we're currently experiencing around like people getting upset about PC politics and just like, oh, well, I'm going to have to learn 300 genders. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. Can you tell this is a touchy subject for me? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll state for our listening audience who maybe don't know, um, I'm uh, trans non-binary and use gender neutral pronouns. Mm-hmm. So for me, that little gag, I thought, the fact that this was written in 1999 and so wasn't a dig at the whole culture now where people are like to pretend to or get into up and arms about having to be polite about pronouns and stuff like that. You know, assholes like that. I'm sorry if you're listening to Futurama and now and you I've now put you off listening to our podcast, but <laughs> you're going to have to deal with a lot of kind of that stuff from me. I'm sure there are people talking about shows that you enjoy who won't upset your delicate sensibilities regarding gender. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I just thought that was a fun little joke because, as I said, I think if it was written now and that joke was put in, I would assume it was a dig at PC politics. Mm. But because it's then I just thought that oh that's just fun like because they had Pac-Man they had Miss Pac-Man so it follows that the next gen game version of that series might be okay we've done Mr. Pac-Man and Mrs. Pac-Man gender neutral Pac-Person and that that just feels like a natural continuation of the series almost Mm, I mean I I felt exactly the same I feel like if I saw that in in a recent episode I'd grown but 
Mm. I was actually kind of impressed how <laughs> their time they were. Um, um, I'm looking at the rest of my notes. Um, I'm kind of skipping about. I like uh, virtual virtual ski ball. You'll swear you're playing virtual ski ball. I love that. Was, that was that was a good gag. Uh, another tiny little one at the beginning. I think I can't remember if this was in the cold open. No, it's it's after the cold open where they're eating breakfast and Fry's just like, this is amazing, caffeinated bacon, baconated grapefruit, Admiral Crunch. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, well, there's also Archduke Chocula, which was a gag <laughs> I slightly missed on the first. And I was just like, because my brain goes, well, it's called Admiral. No, it's Captain Crunch. Oh, there's the gag. And I like the idea that these people, these mascots got promoted in the <laughs> thousand years since. So it's just, that's just a great... You can imagine some really desperate campaign. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just looking at just random things I've written down. Because I think we've covered the, the bulk of the episode. Sure. Um, there's, I don't know why I like this line, but Bender's helping amy try and uh win the crane game oh to get the keys he, back out of the yeah. machine and he's ex- he's explaining how it's a lot like making love and amy says Ugh, i know how to make love that is such a good gag <laughs> it's just like a really nice um amy line i don't know mm. it's funny um i'll speak um i was gonna say bender and amy have some great interactions in this and it makes me sad that they don't interact more until like a much later episode where they date for a bit Bender and Amy date? Yeah. I've forgotten. Oh! There's a whole big plot about robot human dating. That's the whole episode. I've shut that out of my mind. But but yeah, I love their dynamic because they're very, very different people. Mm. Um, It's fun, but there's this great line where uh, when Amy realised, when the the asshole uh, part guy won't let her get the keys back out because the, the keys fell into the crate that they were delivering because uh, she accidentally dropped the crane magnet on her head and the keys got sucked up and then dropped into the crate. Um, mm. But she's there, pressed, against her, uh, pressed up against the side of the machine, going, oh, Leela's going to kill me. And Bender's just like, she'll probably make me do it. <laughs> and it's just like, the banter between those two really makes me smile. And then later, it really makes When uh, Amy rescues him later from like the big claw machine thing, not the claw machine, like the big uh, bit of farm equipment, yeah. Uh, when he's running from the farmer again. And um, Ben is just like in between the lines of singing the country song. He's like cursing at Amy, just like, I'll kill you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just like, it, it's. I, I, I'm genuinely not sure. It might be the Titanic episode, but I've got this really vev- vivid memory of, um, of bender doing something and like amy gets him in an arm lock until he lets go or apologizes and it's just like it's fun to see the seeds of their dynamic like Mm. naive rich girl and like hardened i say hardened he's made of metal uh petty petty criminal but Mm. they work so well together and i feel that that's one of the the great strengths of future armor as an ensemble cast um is that you can put any two of the characters together and fun stuff happens. Yeah, it's my favourite thing about ensemble comedy is when the writers have noticed two characters haven't interacted much and they just throw them together. Like, I, I was a big fan of Parks and Rec and mm-hmm. long into when I identified what the format of every single episode was. <laughs> I, I just, But it was always fun because it's always just like, okay, these two characters do this and these two characters do that. Don't mind. <laughs> it's, a, it's similarly in um i watch always sunny in philadelphia mm-hmm. and m- most of those episodes are topic comes up and then the gang pairs off into amusing pairings um so i'm That's... excited to see more of that mm. um i'm coming to the end of the notes i wrote down i have one line that's so good i have to mention please um, which is when the farmer says, "Oxygen don't grow on trees." <laughs> <laughs> which, like, oh, it's good. I got like a second into the next line of dialogue. I just went, "Ha!" Yeah, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very good. good. It's very good. Oh, I'm glad we're doing this. I'm so glad we're doing this. Uh, thank you, everybody, for like. Uh, like helping signal boost the show, like, and a lot of people like retweeting about the episodes, despite the fact that another 
Futurama podcast called Good News Everyone also launched on the same day. <laughs> but that How- one's in German. So yeah, like for our any German listeners, there's that one and you guys they I bet they're great. We should we should contact them. We should just be like, so hey. Um we uh axed you on Twitter um, <laughs> for uh feelings about this episode and we got one from at Mark LaFame. Mark LaFame, let's say. Um one of my favourite episodes, how they juggled introducing main characters, establishing the episode formula, and striking the series' sweet and often optimistic tone, all in the first non-pilot episode, is beyond me. And I guess that's... It, well like, said. When you, when you said that the writer um, won an award for this, I was well, he slightly... Was, he, supr- he was nominated, to okay. be fair. But, yes. Um, I was slightly surprised, because it's not one of the ones that... I guess ranks highly on most people's lists of Futurama episodes, but it's one of those like invisibly genius ones Agreed. where you don't see the working. Like a lot mm. of the episodes of shows that get awards are always the, the big showy kind of experimental ones, but it's often these really tricky ones where, well, episode two is sometimes much harder to write because yeah. episode one, in some way, you know what has to happen. Sure. But what happens in episode two? Where do they go? What's, Mm. you know and, so, they na- and they nailed it yeah it's a it's a great episode um the next episode is i roommate which that is one of my favorites <laughs> i love that episode so um if you guys want to watch along with that one uh tweet uh at futurama fancast uh if you've got any thoughts about the episode we'd love to hear them um, we have an email address uh at futurama uh futurama fancast at gmail.com and uh, um, we've also got individual Twitters. I'm at jdoxfordrose. I'm at Hamish Steele. I wanted to also mention our other podcast, because we mentioned we do another podcast last episode. We didn't actually say what it's called. Um, and that's Box Not Included, where we uh, talk about the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. But yeah, um, I think that'll be it. <laughs> so uh, this is the crew of the Planet Express ship signing off for an episode. So long, jerkwads. We're weathers on the moon. We carry a harpoon. Fighter and no wheels. So we tell them tall tales and sing all